We hope you like this Resurrection Oakland Church podcast. Unauthorized use of any part of this copyrighted material for redistribution or duplication is not permitted without prior consent from Resurrection Oakland Church. To learn more about our church and its charity and mission work in and around Oakland, California, please visit our website at www.resoakland.com. from Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can take your seats. Let's take just a moment to pray together. Father, would you help us to believe this morning uh, that none of us are in this room by accident, whether we're here every week or whether this is our first time here ever. Would you help us to believe that we're in this room because you have brought us here? We thank you that you are a God who, who speaks, a God who has not remained silent, a God who has not tried to stay a mystery, but a God who has revealed yourself in your son, and through your word. And we pray now that you would come by your spirit and that you would give us ears to hear all that you would have to say to us this morning. Speak to us, we pray. Speak to us in such a way that our lives would be changed. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, good morning again. Uh, Last week, we started a new series on the spiritual disciplines. And we said this, spiritual disciplines are God-given practices. These are not things that that I made up or anyone else made up. These are God-given practices that lead us into a deeper experience of God's love for us. And as a result, they cultivate in us a deeper love for God and others. And over the course of seven weeks, we're going to be looking at seven of these practices, seven of these disciplines. And I know that for many of you, you hear the word discipline, and that doesn't sound very appealing. But the spiritual disciplines are such good news to us. They are such good news. Because the spiritual disciplines mean that if you have ever wanted to have a deeper sense of God's presence in your life, if you've ever wanted to know more of God's love in your life, if you've ever looked at someone else and thought, I wish I could know God like that person knows God, the spiritual disciplines are the gifts that God has given to us to do just that. And the discipline that we're looking at this morning uh, is the discipline of meditation. This whole passage is about meditation. It's about what meditation is and what what, what meditation can actually do in our lives. And as I was uh, preparing for this sermon this week, it reminded me of a quote by the great philosopher Ron Swanson. Uh, For all you Parks and Recs fans, Ron Swanson, there's an episode in Parks and Rec where uh, after visiting a meditation center, Ron Swanson says, 
uh, all told, we were in there about six hours. And no, I was not meditating. I just stood there quietly, breathing. There were no thoughts in my head whatsoever. My mind was blank. I don't know what those other crackpots were doing. <laughs> Only Ron Swanson could get away with those kinds of things. Uh, you know, meditation may be the most misunderstood of the spiritual disciplines, and it may be the most misunderrated of the spiritual disciplines, but Psalm 1 is saying it is one of the most important spiritual disciplines. If you want to grow as a Christian, if you want to experience more of God's love and his power and his presence in your life, you need to learn how to do this. So let's talk about meditation. I want to look at three things this morning. We're going to talk about the principle of meditation, the promise of meditation, and then last, the practice of meditation. So first, the principle. Now, meditating is very popular these days. All sorts of research has come out about the health benefits of meditating. It lowers blood pressure. It increases brain health. It reduces stress. It improves sleep. But despite how popular meditation is, I think many of us hear that word and they think, well, that is for super spiritual people. I could never do that. But what I want you to consider this morning is that all of us are meditating. All of us, no matter how spiritual or unspiritual you consider yourself to be, no matter how religious or irreligious you consider yourself to be, because the word meditating in this passage simply means to think about or to consider intensely. Have you ever had someone speak words of affirmation and love into your life? Have you ever gotten a card or a text with someone who is really important to you with, with words that you read over and over and over again? You know what you're doing when you do that? You're meditating. Some of you have heard me tell this story before, but several months after Katie and I were married, she looked at me one night and she, she said, you are my most favorite person in the world. And I'll tell you, that was 12 years ago. And I'm still thinking about those words. I'm still churning over those words. They replay in my head over and over and over again. You know what, you know what I'm doing? I'm meditating. We're all meditating. And the words, listen to this, the words that you meditate on will be the words that form you. Whether they form you for good or for ill. See, when I was in sixth grade, I took the school to bus, the, the bus to school. And uh, didn't get a lot of sleep last night, all right? I took the bus to school. And I was meditating all night, actually, is what was happening. Um, actually, I was trying to sleep, but I couldn't. So anyways, uh, when I was in sixth grade, I took the bus to school and, uh, you know, there was the popular crowd in the grades above me, the seventh and eighth graders. And the popular crowd on the bus had a nickname for me. And it wasn't Maverick. I wish it was Maverick, you know, <laughs> or Iceman, you know. Uh, it was Cheeks. I had, a, I had a pretty round face. I still have a pretty round face. And, uh, you know, I, I, my little insecure sixth-grade self churned over that one word for years. And I'm, I'm 44 years old, 
And I've not forgotten that. Cheeks. And you, some of us in this room have been called much worse things, much more harmful things, much more destructive things. We've had words spoken to us like, you will never amount to anything, or you're worthless, or you're stupid, or I don't love you anymore. And those words have gone straight to your heart, and you think about them every day. And they've had incredible power in your life. See, whatever words you meditate on will form you. You know, this is also true with social media. Social media will form you. I heard someone say a couple weeks ago that they said, Facebook makes, makes me hate you. Instagram makes me hate me, right? Because we think everybody else has a better life than we do. And Twitter makes me hate the world. Whatever words you fix your mind on, they will shape you. And so I want to ask you a question this morning. What words have you been fixing your attention on this week? Is it social media? Is it cable news? Is it, is it words from your past failures? The, que- the question is not, are you meditating? That is not the question. The question is, are the things that you are meditating on forming you in ways, in healthy ways or unhealthy ways? Are they making you more whole or less whole? Are they making you more mature or less mature? And you see, what we're, what we're talking about today in meditation is very different. It is very different from other popular forms of meditation. In other forms of meditation, particularly uh, Eastern and New Age forms, meditation, meditation means this. It means emptying your mind. You clear it out. And the goal is detachment, detachment from the world and everything that is going on around you. And the only thing that is present is you. You see, but Christian meditation is the exact opposite. It's not just that you are present, but God is present. And the goal is not detachment from the world, but the goal is attachment to God. The goal is experiencing God's presence and love and communing with him and hearing his voice over your life. Now, how does that happen? It happens, I want you to hear this, it happens not by emptying your mind, but by filling your mind with God's words. See, we are filling our minds with all sorts of words, but Christian meditation is filling your mind with God's words. And this is why verse 2 of the passage says, Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law. Now, when you hear the word law, what do you think about? Maybe you think about the Ten Commandments. Thou shall not, thou shall do this, thou shall not do that. Maybe you think about the other parts of the Old Testament, you know, the the Old Testament books that have God's law in it, like Leviticus or Deuteronomy. You know, the parts of the Bible that have God's commands. That's, That's what the Bible's talking about when it talks about God's law. But but listen to this. In John chapter 10. Jesus says to the religious leaders, he says, is it not written in the law? And then he quotes Psalm 82. Now, the Psalms are not the part of the Bible that are considered law. They're the part of the Bible that is considered wisdom literature or poetry. But Jesus calls them law. And this is Jesus' way of saying law is shorthand for the entire Bible. And so when Psalm 1 says, blessed is the one, 
who meditates on God's law, it is saying if you want to experience God's presence, if you want to know more of his love, if you want to be shaped by his voice and by his words, then fix your attention on the Bible because the Bible is how God speaks to us. You see, meditation is not simply emptying your mind. It is filling your mind with God's words. It's filling your mind with scripture. And it is taking them in and thinking them out, but it is doing it in a very particular way. Meditating on scripture is very different from just reading the Bible. You know, reading the Bible is a really important thing. And I actually never read through the entire Bible until I got to seminary, which was, you know, I realized how much I didn't know about the Bible. And reading, reading the Bible in big chunks is a really important thing to do to get a sense of the big picture and how the whole story fits together. But meditation is something very different. And the best explanation that I've heard on this comes from Eugene Peterson in his book, Eat This Book. He wrote a book called Eat This Book, and in this book he tells a story about how he learned what meditation was by watching his dog. Now, I have this nine-month-old golden retriever. I haven't learned anything about meditation from him. But Eugene Peterson, (laughs) Eugene, I've learned how to tear up everything in the house from this dog. Um, But Eugene Peterson talks about how his watching his dog taught him something about meditation. He said one day he was watching his dog chew his bone. And, And he observed how much his dog loved this bone. He'd throw this bone up. He'd play with it. He'd growl at it. He'd bark at it. And this is a little dog, and this was a big bone. And so sometimes it would, take, it would take like a week for this dog to eat this bone. And one day, Eugene Peterson, he read Isaiah chapter 31, verse 4, which says that the Lord is like a lion growling over his prey. And Eugene Peterson, it made him, he said it made him think of his dog growling over his bone and playing with his bone and loving every bite that he could get out of his bone. And the connection that that Peterson made was this, was that the word growl in Isaiah chapter 31 is the same word as meditate in Psalm 1. And he said he realized the way his dog was with his bone and the way a lion is with his prey, that that is the way that we are supposed to be with God's word. See, that's very different from just reading the Bible. Uh, One person said it this way. He said, meditation is the practice of slowly chewing on God's word until it penetrates our heart. Think about that image of slowly chewing on God's word. We We don't chew on words. You know what we do? We scroll through words. We skim through words. That's, we, we, don't chew on, that's, we don't chew on words. That's not how we read now. We, we like sound bites and we like captions. And we have lost the art of meditation. Our, our brains have almost become unwired for meditation. And you see, this is why God's word so often fails to penetrate our hearts. We think it's because something is wrong with the Bible, but actually it's because something is wrong with the way that we read it. And what God is doing in meditation is he is inviting us into a different way of reading. He is inviting us to slow down. 
and to savor his words like a dog savors their bone, to, to think it out and to chew on it and to take it in to, and to digest it slowly until it begins to penetrate our hearts and to change us. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You see, meditation is letting God's word make its home in you so that it can rearrange the furniture of your thoughts and your affections and your actions. Now that's the principle. But let's move on to the next point because there are some incredible promises in this passage. And they all come to the person who meditates. Verse 3 says that the one who meditates on God's word will be like a tree that is planted by streams of water. And so here's what I've been doing in studying for this sermon this week, is I have been meditating on that image. And I want to give you three promises that come out of that image. And here's the first. The first is this. Is that in meditation, God will make you into a person that you never thought possible. Verse 3 says that you'll be like a tree that yields fruit. And whenever we hear that word fruit in the Bible, it ought to make you think of Galatians chapter 5. This says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Don't you long for more of those things in your life? You're quiet this morning. Don't you long for those, more of those things in your life? Don't you long for more peace? Don't you long for more patience? What if you could be less anxious? That would be nice. That would be nice. Don't you long for those things? How, we all want those things. How do you get them? How do you get them? Well, look, there's all sorts of books, all sorts of books that will tell you the way you get them is by trying harder. Self-help and self-determination. But Christianity says something very different. Jesus says in John 15, he says, I'm the vine, and you are the branches. And if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will bear much fruit. Culture says the way to become the person you want to be is through self-improvement. But Christianity says it comes through abiding in Jesus. Jesus promises that when we abide in him, we will bear much fruit. And you say, well, how do I do that? How do I abide? Meditation. Meditation is the means by which we experience ongoing intimacy with the Lord of heaven and earth. It is the means by which God changes us more and more into the people that he created us to be and the people that we long to be. And maybe you're thinking, well, you know what? I've been reading the Bible a long time. And I've been waiting to see that kind of change happen in my life. But I don't see a whole lot happening. I don't see a whole lot of change going on. You know, there's a reason that Psalm 1 uses the image of a tree. That the person who meditates will be like a tree. You know, trees take a long time to grow. No one plants a tree and then stands there and says, did you see it just grow? No one plants a tree and goes out the next morning to see if their tree grew. No, this kind of transformation does not happen overnight. It is only as you take in God's word day after day and week after week and month 
after month and year after year that change starts to happen. See, and that's why the spiritual disciplines are so hard. Because we want fast results. We want immediate results. But that is not how transformation and change in the Christian life works, friends. God wants to do something in your life that is so much bigger and better than just kind of, you know, rounding off the rough edges. He wants to make you into a person of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And friends, that does not happen overnight. It happens over a lifetime. And so you may not feel like change is happening, but I promise you this, stick with meditating on God's word and you will see it happen eventually. That's the first promise. Here's the second one, is that God will give you a stability that can withstand whatever life throws at you. Psalm 1 contrasts those who meditate on God's word with those who don't. And it says that those who don't are like chaff. Now, what is chaff? Chaff is the dry, scaly husk of grain seeds. It's, it's kind of like tumbleweed. It's, 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 it, there's no substance to it. It's light. It's just nothing is holding it down. This is why verse 4 says that the wind blows it away. See, but, but verse 3 says that those who meditate are not like chaff. They're like a tree. Chaff has no stability. Nothing to hold it down. But a tree is rooted. It's anchored. It has stability. Think about the redwood trees of Northern California. They're amazing. Redwood trees can grow up to 400 feet tall. Some of them are over 2,000 years old. They're, 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 uh, They're the largest... Uh, uh, living land organism on the planet. Some of them have diameters of 30 feet or more. What, What is it that allows these trees to soar up into the air like this? You know what it is? It's their roots. And what's interesting about the roots is they're not that deep. Typically, they're only five to six feet deep, but they go out hundreds of feet from the trunk And they are intertwined with all the other trees. I want you to know something. God longs for you to soar like these trees. He longs to make you into a person who is bearing fruit. But the only way that that happens is when you are deeply rooted in something outside of ourselves. Because you see, winds are going to come. Winds are going to come in your life. Storms are going to come in your life. Trials are going to come in your life. Difficulty is going to come in your life. Suffering is going to come in your life. And God is saying, meditate on my word and you will be rooted. You'll be like this tree whose leaf does not wither. That means that whatever circumstances come into your life, you will not just be blown around by them, but you will have this super natural stability. And I've seen that happen in the lives of people in this church. I've seen people go through deep, deep suffering. And you know what comes out of them in the midst of their suffering? Scripture. I've seen people who are anxious and afraid 
But they are able to say with Psalm 27, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is a stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? I've seen people go through depression and be able to say with Psalm 46 that God is close to the brokenhearted and crushed to the spirit, those who are crushed in spirit. So you have to meditate on God's word. So when these seasons come, what comes out of you is scripture. In other words, when you are too discouraged to even open your Bible, friends, and you will have those moments in the Christian life. You will have moments where you are so discouraged, you don't have the strength to open the Bible. But when you spend your time meditating on God's word, you know what happens in those moments? Scripture comes out of you. You see, meditation is where we stack the woods the wood of God's words in our hearts and minds so that on the day of trouble, God can set them ablaze. Do you know that this is how Jesus got through his own troubles? You think, well, he was God. You know, he was deity. It was easy for him. No, Marquita talked about this earlier. He was fully God, but he was fully man. How did Jesus get through his troubles? You know how he got through them? He was constantly quoting scripture. He quoted scripture when he was tempted in the wilderness. He quoted scripture when he was confronted by the religious leaders. He quoted scripture when he was on the cross. Jesus was constantly quoting scriptures and it gave him stability no matter what life brought him. And it will do the same for you. But the only way that happens is when you make this practice a part of your life. Is when you learn how to chew on God's word slowly until it gets deep down into you. Here's the last promise. Is that meditation will turn you into a person who blesses others. When I was, when I was meditating on the image of this tree this week, it brought to mind the image of another tree that scripture talks about. Jesus himself talks about it in Matthew chapter 13. He says that the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. And though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. When you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, he wants you to turn you into a person like this tree. He wants to turn you into a someone, into someone who brings blessing and joy and refreshment to the world around you. And you know, any of the original readers of Psalm chapter 1 would have thought about this. Because you know, one of the, one of the main metaphors for the Old Testament people of God was that they were to be a vineyard of trees sent out to be a blessing to the world. And this is so important. We're going to keep coming back to this whole thing, this whole idea throughout this series because I think a lot of us, when we think about the spiritual disciplines, we just think these are kind of private activities between me and God. No, this is much more than just about you and God. This is about the spiritual disciplines are about you and God and others. They are meant to cultivate in us a deeper love for God and a deeper love for others. And this is actually something really unique about Christian meditation. See, other forms of meditation, they take you out of the world. It's about detachment. No, no, no. 
No, Christian meditation is meant to take you up into God so that it can send you out into the world, out into the world to be a blessing. And when you begin to take God's words into you day after day and week after week and month after month and year after year, you know what happens? You begin to be shaped by God's priorities and God's imagination and God's values. What excites God begins to excite you. You know what excites God? Goodness and peace and justice, and mercy, and forgiveness, things that our world longs for and needs desperately. And when you meditate, it is not just about you and God. It is about what God is doing in you and through you for the sake of the world. It turns you into a person who blesses others. It gives you a stability that no matter what life throws at you, and it can turn you into a person that you never thought possible. It brings transformation into your life. Now, those are some amazing promises, but what about the practice? Some of you are saying, how do I do this? I mean, this all sounds good, and I want all of these things, but how do I actually go home and do this? And what, here's my goal for you today. I want you to leave this room thinking, I can do this. I want you to leave this room thinking, I can go home and I can do this this week. Now, to do that, you need a Bible. And if you don't have one, we actually have free Bibles for you back on, our, on the back table back here and on the welcome table. We would love for you to uh, grab one and take one home with you this week. But the best way, the best way for you to learn how to meditate is not for me to tell you how to do it. You know the best way to learn how to do it is to actually do it. So let's do it. Let's do it together right now. I want to end... I want to, this, is, this is not how we typically end sermons, but I want, to end, I want to end today by actually leading us through a very brief exercise of meditation. So if you have a pen, I know most of us, we don't carry those around anymore, but if you have a pen, I want you to pull it out, and you can make notes on your worship guide or another sheet of paper that you have. If you don't have a pen, you can take out your phone, go to your notes app, If we see you scrolling, we will know that you're doing something else. We're watching. I have eyes. Just kidding. Um, Take out your notes out. And I want to lead us through a way of meditating that Christians have actually been using for centuries. And it's called Lectio Divina. And I know that sounds like a very fancy word, but it simply means sacred reading. It's a way to read scripture slowly and to chew on it and to savor it and to hear God speaking to you through it and to have your heart changed by it. And I want to teach you how to do this. And my hope, my hope is that you're going to go home and you're going to do this tomorrow. And you're going to do it on Tuesday. And then you might get to Wednesday and you forget or you feel like it didn't make any difference on Monday or Tuesday. And you know what? That's okay. Do it again on Thursday. Try and try and try again. And when you fail, try again. God is patient with you. God is not angry that you miss days. He is constantly inviting you back into this. And so Lectio Divina has four stages. And we're going we're to do these together this morning. I'm going to give them to you up front. There's four R's, okay? The four R's are this. Reading, reflecting, 
responding, and resting. So the first stage is this. We're going to read the passage. And in just a minute, I'm going to read a verse to you several times. And then second, I'm going to give you a moment to silently reflect on that verse, to, to, to think about it, to chew on it. And then third, we're going to respond to God in silent prayer. And then last, we'll rest. God has spoken to us through his word. We've spoken back to him in prayer. Now there's nothing else to do but to rest and to abide in his presence. And so for the next five minutes or so, I want to lead us through this exercise. And the verse we're going to do this is, is a very, it's, it's one of the most famous verses in all of the Bible. Psalm 23, verse 1. Psalm 23, verse 1. I want to invite you to close your eyes, if you're comfortable doing that. And I want to read this verse five times, very slowly. And I want to ask you to pay attention to what God might be saying to you in these words. So hear now God's voice in God's word. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Let me invite you to open your eyes. And I want you to pick a word or a phrase from that verse that stands out to you. I want you to think on it. I want you to ask, Lord, what are you saying to me right now? And on your phone or on your piece of paper, I want you to write down what you sense God speaking to you. Maybe it's something about his character. Maybe it's something about what's going on in your life right now. But take a moment and reflect. <clears throat> Let's do that now.
And now we come to the third stage. We've read the scripture. We've reflected on it to see what God might be saying to us. And now we respond in prayer. God has spoken to us. And so now we speak to him. So out of your reflection, what do you want to say to God? Maybe it's something you want to praise him for. Maybe it's something you want to ask him for. Maybe it's something that you need to confess to him. But talk to God. And listen, friends, you do not have to say things just right. God just wants you to talk to him and to respond to him. So I want to give you a minute to do that now silently. now we come to the last stage, which is resting. And I invite you just to kind of sit up in your seat. And God has spoken to us through his word, and we have spoken back to him. And now there is, there's nothing else to say or do but to simply rest and abide in God's presence. I want to give you a minute to do that now. It is so easy for us to run through life and to scroll through life and to never slow down. But we thank you that you are a God who is constantly inviting us back into your presence. We thank you that you are a good shepherd. 
that you are the one in whom we lack nothing, that you have invited us into a life of transformation and of stability and of living as a blessing to others and of knowing you and of serving you. And so we ask that you would come and be our shepherd and lead us by your spirit that we might experience this abundant life that you have invited us into. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Friends, there is no better place to end this sermon than this table. Because in meditation, we, we fix our minds on God. But, but that is always in response to the reality that God has fixed his mind on us. And throughout the scriptures, what you find is a God who thought about us long before we thought about him. A God who is always thinking about us. A God who can't stop thinking about us. And that is what this table is all about. See, this table points us to the cross. And on the cross, Jesus meditated, but he did not just meditate on the scriptures. He meditated on us. He fixed his mind on us, and it was out of his love for us that he went to the cross. And it was out of love for us that he stayed on the cross, and in his resurrection, he is now alive, and he is ruling and reigning over all things, and he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he is interceding for you and he is praying for you. And he knows exactly what you are going through today and he is thinking about you and he invites you to this table so that you might experience his presence. He wants to pour his grace out on you today so that your life can be transformed, so that you can bear much fruit, so that you can have stability, whatever life brings at you so that you can be sent out into the world. It's God's blessing to the world. On the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And after he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he blessed it, saying, this cup represents the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. The Bible tells us that as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's pray. God, thank you for the invitation of this table, that you are a God who is constantly seeking us out, constantly seeking to be with us, and to commune with us and that you have gone from heaven to earth and onto a cross and into a tomb and out of a grave to make that possible. So Lord, would you give us hearts today to receive you as we come to this table? Would you fill us up, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.